Well, good morning to you. It's Sunday the 20th of December and you have found your way uh, to the St John's Southbourne Virtual Service. Uh, a special welcome if you're joining us for the first time and welcome also our brothers and sisters from St Nick's Church Thorny. Uh, it's lovely uh, to be with you together and I know although we're all apart and feel separate at the moment, uh, jo joining together uh, at these times will be uh, a way of maintaining and our fellowship and helping to uh, encourage one another uh, in our own walk with Jesus Christ. Just a few things from myself um, that do uh, check out our website if you're visiting for the first time. Uh, we're planning some alpha courses in the new year, uh, both evening and daytime. Um, if you'd like to get involved in a daytime study group, that's absolutely fine. I'm really excited about some of the ones that we're starting up. They seem to be sort of just bearing uh, good, good news and fruit already. Um, a special thanks also this time uh, to, it's a good appropriate time isn't it, to say thank you for all the hard work people are doing just as they're about to do it. Uh, but thank you very much to John and Sue, my wardens, for uh, Sarah and Alan, our uh, secretary and treasurer, uh, and for Jill before that. Uh, amazing amount of work that goes into thinking and planning through everything that we're doing, especially as a lot of what we're doing is contingency planning, like what if, uh, how does that work? Big thank you also to Kim and Richard. Amazing work that you're doing and, and keep that going. And we hope uh, to continue building on that as things hopefully change uh, throughout the course of the next year. And I mustn't forget also those who helped John, uh, Ian and Mike in particular, with uploading the virtual stuff, uh, the material that goes out. It takes far longer for them to uh, do it than it takes me to prepare what I say for a few minutes. So it's an enormous uh, thank you uh, to them. Um, I'm aware also that people were hoping that there would be something on the 20th in the evening, this evening, uh, and um, we have got access to the old All Souls Langham Place uh, carol concert, which is going out live last night. Uh, although obviously I'm recording this early, so you can work that out. Um, but it's also, um, we've got access to watch it uh, this evening. So um, do uh, join us afterwards for um, mince pies and mulled wine or whatever goes down well in your own household and look forward to that. It's great, isn't it, just to be together and, and hope, hopefully uh, we can continue uh, to build our fellowship and see what new things the new year will bring. It's not an entire disaster, is it? We've learned some new things, we've done some good things. Uh, and, and we're seeing exciting things starting to happen. So it's interesting what God can do, even when we think that there's not a lot at stake or not a lot to be done, which is an interesting link into our theme for today about discipleship and the kingdom that we're called to be part of. How do we, what's the best way to approach being a member of Jesus's kingdom? Well, let's pray and begin with some words uh, from scripture. Uh, Psalm 89 verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness. For you are their glory and strength. And by your favour you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Well, Father, as we gather together this morning, we pray that we would be reminded of those things about learning to walk in your favour, 
about your love and faithfulness, the righteousness and justice that you call us to, and the forgiveness and grace you show us in Jesus Christ. May we rejoice in your name all day long. Amen. I've got a, a short link now to a video I took just lighting the fourth Advent candle and look forward to, to uh, joining with you in God's Word. Today marks the fourth Sunday of Advent. And on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we think about God's call in particular to Mary. And the things we're looking at in this morning's service and the stories we're looking at that Jesus told set Mary up as a great example of obedience to him, to God. And it's really helpful to see her story, how her faith led her in obedience to bring in the kingdom of God. So we remember both her obedience, her faith, and her example as things that we can learn from. And so we can pray. God our Father, the angel Gabriel told the Virgin Mary that she was to be the mother of your son. Though Mary was afraid, she responded to your call with joy. Help us, whom you call to serve you, to share, like her, in your great work of bringing to our world your love and your healing. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, the light who is coming into the world. Amen. Well, the parable that we're going to look at today as we explore the theme of the coming kingdom is the quite familiar parable of the talents uh, in Matthew 25. If you're using the study guide by Greg Jow, he also uses the parables either side about the ten bridesmaids and the um, the sheep and the goats. Um, there's an awful lot of material in that, but I think the parable of the talents is A, familiar, and B, foundational enough for us to be able to work out what's important in the other two. So I'm going to read from Matthew 25, verse 14. Jesus said, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. 
His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we gather around that story, um, it's a familiar parable. It's a familiar story with important um, symbols. The, the uh, commentators Davies and Allison in their um, commentary s- summarise the story like this. Uh, the master is Jesus, the servants are the church, whose members receive various responsibilities. The master's departure is the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus. His long absence is the age of the church and his return, the second coming, or the parousia, if you like, of the son of man. The rewards reflect the heavenly reward at the heavenly banquet that will bring them joy. It's quite interesting and parable, isn't it? It's it's often sort of one that gets misquoted. Oh, if you've got this talent, you must use it. And if you've got that talent, you must use it. And that's not far from the truth, but it's it's a bit deeper than that, isn't it? I think if we dig into it a little bit more, we'll find out that there's a lot going on. One thing that helps us understand a little bit more about this parable is that Jesus is now in Jerusalem and he is approaching his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. So for both a short period and then for for a much longer period, the period in which we now live, the disciples would be without his personal presence. So he's preparing them so there are no surprises and they can actually think about some of the things that are involved with um, being a disciple when he's not there. So there's some preparation from them and there's some principles to learn from the parable to make practice for ourselves. First of all, though, we ought to address the challenges the story presents. It's somewhat uncomfortable, isn't it? It makes us reflect on our discipleship. What is your talent? What is the ability or the gift that you've been given? It doesn't have to be the same at anybody else's. It's more about what you do with it. That seems to be uh, significant. But there's an unequal distribution of gifts. And we know that the spirit distributes gifts according to his will. There's a long period of time away, and that's probably the bit that uh, it sort of nudges us a lot. For many of us, if you're shielding and looking after yourself or, or others, then it, it kind of reminds us of the lack of church attendance, the lack of ability to be in church as a sort of a way of being in God's presence, a way of being together as well. There's also a fair amount about unexpected return, particularly 
in the parable of the ten bridesmaids but also they do the disciples do not know how long this period will be and they didn't anticipate i'm sure that we would still be talking about this story 2000 years later but there is something about how we handle uncertainty because things that are uncertain mean that what we think is often changing or subject to revision as we probably see every week on the news don't we and then there's a slight uncomfortableness as well isn't it, with, with how harsh uh, the master is towards the servant it's a little bit uncomfortable to think actually that's a horrible idea that i might get thrown you know that a servant of the church could be thrown out and what he has is taken away from him it's an interesting thing and we sometimes forget perhaps the gravity or the scale of the privilege which we've been given by being called into Christ's kingdom. We've been moved from darkness to light and we're, we're, we, we have a new life and we have to maintain and look after that. And that's clearly what the third servant didn't do. This is not a time, although it is tempting, to get into Bonhoeffer's view of the church's present presenting cheap grace as the way of the Christian life it's not the time but it is in there so we have to think about that sometimes ultimately I suppose the key is that the third servant said master but nothing he actually did showed he was obedient to the master and he took the route of, of least resistance in fact he admits that he was afraid and to to bury his treasure like that was to kind of abdicate responsibility for what he'd been given because had it gone missing, he could have legitimately have said, well, I didn't lose it, it's, my it's not my fault. Because burying your treasure was a way of saying, well, it's secure now, it's not, but it's also not my problem. It's not my thing. So that's interesting, isn't it? That out of fear, he presents, you know, he, he presents a different way of doing things and it's not quite what we want to see and certainly not what we want to, faith, you know, we want to follow. Because if we follow in Jesus, if we are following Jesus, we accept the call to faith by being obedient. You know, I've just been looking at uh, the calling of the first disciples in, in a study group, in a couple of study groups. And, you know, what is it that calls people out? Well, it's, it's who Jesus is, isn't it? It's his authoritative call. It's, it's who he is. He's so clearly uh, somebody else that the, the fishermen, uh, the disciples, the tax collectors, they all, they all, they come. They come. They obey his call. But it's also because he is the son of God and he has that authority to call people. So there is an element of obedience, isn't there, involved. Obedience demonstrates our faith as Jesus' followers. So those two ideas of faith based in who Jesus Christ is and our obedience as we live as disciples or new creations. Let's not forget that he's called us to be new and different and is conforming us to his likeness. They're inseparable from Christianity. They can't be taken out. You can't take Jesus out of Christianity and say you're doing the same thing as everybody else in the church. And I think that's what kind of the servant is trying, the third servant is trying to do. He was thrown out because nothing he did showed that he was actually doing the things uh, that, was, uh, that were important, that were called for. He didn't believe the master's instruction was authoritative enough to do it. And his obedience was, was nowhere, was it? He went off and did kind of exactly the opposite. So there's a sense in which he is not obeying and not showing any faith at all. And that's important. It's, it's demonstrated, it's fleshed out by this. In contrast, as we approach Christmas, of course, 
We observe Mary's example and we will speak about that in our Christmas services. May your word to be to me be fulfilled. Well, isn't that a lovely difference, isn't it? May your word, may your authoritative word, may your instruction, may your call to me be fulfilled. Well, how is it going to be fulfilled? By her obedience, by her taking God's word seriously and living it out, living it out in obedience to it, knowing that it had come to her and which showed her faith. She took responsibility for what God had given her. So, these important parables and these quite striking and stark examples remind us of the importance of commitment. If we're thinking that we've missed a lot out a lot this year because we haven't had, dare I say it, church, uh, then we ought to sometimes think about Christians in other countries, particularly those enduring persecution, because what do you think their focus would be? And what was the focus of the early church? We're still looking at the book of Acts in our evening studies. And what did the early church do? Well, it got on. It got on with a commitment to the person of Jesus Christ, in obedience to him, to his will, and often, as we saw in the life of Stephen, at enormous personal cost. So we can't separate faith from obedience. If we do, we have a funny old looking faith, don't we? We might try to understand our world or come up with ways of, of rationalising what's happening. But if we do so without the mind of Christ, we're, we're confused, aren't we? It's been a confusing time uh, for a lot of people this year. And sometimes they've mixed faith, mixed their faith with what's going on in the world around them. Or they haven't, we haven't put the two together and said, it, actually, this is the world. It's broken. But I'm a Christian and I'm following Jesus Christ and, and he's never going to be broken. And that's important. We have to remember uh, to look at the world through that lens, to, to remember those things. But if we separate it and we try to think otherwise, we sort of end in these little tailspins that go all sorts of strange places. And now likewise, if we seek just experience of God and we're looking for this or that, uh, different kinds of things that we do, frankly, that we haven't been able to do and, you know, that we miss, um, you know, then actually, do we feel a bit, a bit lost? Do we feel a little bit lost? It's interesting reading one of Henry Nguyen's books um, about how the Pentecostal movement in the early in, in, in the college he was working in um, created an enormous buzz. But when people were out of there, they sort of felt a bit lost. And it was like, well, do you not think that the stuff that was happening to you was because God was being kind to you then? Do you think he stopped being kind to you just because you were in a different room? Nguyen makes some interesting observations about what we're like sometimes when we haven't got experience around us. That's quite important, actually. We have to hold on to it. Remember that the experience of the persecuted church is, is something very, very strong, very, very rich, and based in something very important, the person of Jesus Christ. Likewise, if we lose track, if we base it on, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and we've got a list of tasks and responsibilities, and frankly, we're not, we're not using many of those at the moment, are we? We think about the scale of what sort of the sorts of things that St John's was doing without this lockdown. Then, you know, if that was all, and I'm sure it's not, <laughs> but if that were all as an example that we were about, then actually, where, what am I doing it for? And when we can't do it, we start to question who we are. And that's an important thing. We need to be careful about what we put our energies into. And that's the problem with the third servant, wasn't it? He neither understood his place. He didn't understand what he was in, what he was part of. He didn't understand what he was called to do. And so he ends up missing out. 
had the third servant uh, listened and obeyed, he would have understood his place in the world, that he had purpose and, and meaning, and, and he was valued and privileged uh, to be involved in the master's work. If that's the way you look at the world, I am called by God to be part of his work in redeeming the world around me, then that's a different way of looking at things, isn't it? But it comes from knowing that Jesus Christ has called you. Had he um, continued and, and endured perhaps the hardship and risk-taking of making that one talent work, he might have been able to see breakthrough and growth in different areas. And he would have had also, on top of that, the experience of being received by Jesus with joy, come and share in the master's happiness. And had his life been lived out in confidence that the things then that he was doing and saying meant something about shaping the world around him, to reflect something eternal, to bring the kingdom uh, to people who hadn't heard of it or needed to see it being used and shaping their world as well, then maybe his life would have lived out in a different way. He wouldn't have lived in fear, but in confidence that he was part of something and it makes a difference. So the third servant is a, is a good model. He's a good model of a warning of what we don't want to be. It's a good reminder that if we're asked to do something that is follow Jesus, then we need to keep our eyes fixed on him closely. And that actually doing all the other stuff without it, without being fixed on Jesus, without listening to him, without speaking to him, without without uh, following his example and walking in his, in his ways, without relying on his wisdom and without relying on his power and without doing stuff that he wouldn't have done, <laughs> then life would be really messy. But we're called to be like the first and second ser servants, aren't we? Who did those things who took his words seriously and who saw growth and fruit and, and reward and, and welcome and those are the things that we look for but they're based on how seriously they take their relationship with the master with jesus how closely is he to be followed by them well they do what he says even when he's not there i wonder how central he is to who you are what you say what you do, what you believe, because while he doesn't appear to be around, he's still there and he's given us the responsibility uh, to use the gifts and abilities that he has given us for his purposes, even when he's not there, even when he's not looking. There was a sort of an apocryphal teacup, wasn't there, that used to be, used to have a little pig picture on it which said, look busy, Jesus is coming. Uh, and that, I think there's probably lots of desks on Vickers, uh, in Vickers' studies that have got that little mug. Maybe you want to get yourself one. Yeah. Jesus is coming, look busy. But actually that's the wrong way around, isn't it? We want to, we want, want to be able to say, look what you've done. Well, look what I've been able to do with the things you've given me. Um, because you uh, chose to give us this opportunity. You chose, you trusted me to do something. And you are pleased with what has been achieved. So may we be more like uh, Mary, and whose answer to God's call on her was, may your words to me be fulfilled, and may we look forward to hearing the Master's reply, uh, well done, good and faithful servants. Amen. Well, let's think about those things as we come to a time of confession. Lord of grace and truth, we confess our unworthiness to stand in your presence as your children, because we have sinned. Lord, forgive us and heal us. 
the Virgin Mary accepted your call to be the mother of Jesus. Forgive our disobedience to your will. We have sinned. Lord, forgive us and heal us. Your Son, our Saviour, was born in poverty in a manger. Forgive our greed and rejection of your ways. We have sinned. Lord, forgive us and heal us. The shepherds left their flocks to go to Bethlehem. Forgive our self-interest and lack of vision. We have sinned. Forgive us and heal us. The wise men followed the star to follow Jesus the King. Forgive our reluctance to seek you. We have sinned. Lord, forgive us and heal us. May God, who loved the world so much that he sent his Son to be our Saviour, forgive us our sins and make us holy to serve him in the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Shall we turn to prayer? Watchful at all times, let us pray for strength to stand with confidence before our Maker and Redeemer. That God may bring his, in his kingdom with justice and mercy. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That God may establish among the nations his sceptre of righteousness. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That we may seek Christ in the scriptures and recognise him in the breaking of bread. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That God may bind up the brokenhearted, restore the sick, and raise up all who have fallen. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the light of God's coming may dawn on all who live in darkness and the shadow of death. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. And that with all the saints in the world, we may shine forth as lights for the world. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. So, Christmas blessing. May the joy of the angels, the gladness of the shepherds, the worship of the wise men and the peace of the Christ child be yours this Christmas. And the blessing of God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always.